Welcome to this week's podcast from the Equipping Center. We hope you enjoy this message. Faith and miracles work by authority. The centurion soldier came to Jesus and he said, My servant is at home and he's dying. But I'm a man who's under authority. And I'm a man who's in authority, and I speak to my people, and they move, and it's done according to what I say. This is not a Jew. This is not a believer. This is not one of God's chosen. This is a Gentile that the gospel had not yet come to, but he had enough faith because he understood authority, and he recognized it in Jesus. And he said, when you speak, something has to move. He said, I don't even need you to come to my house. You just say the word and I know he'll be healed. (laughs) And the Bible says that Jesus looked at everyone else, looked at his disciples who were the followers of him. The one he was mentoring to turn it all over to and pass the baton to when he died and was buried and resurrected eventually. And he says to them, I haven't seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. He told the man, go home, your servant's healed. And he was. Would you all just join me tonight in declaring that word of authority over A friend of ours who is a pastor in Bixby, Oklahoma, where we both served together. He used to be the associate, and I was the youth pastor there. And now he is the senior leader of that church and his missions director. He contacted me a few weeks ago, hadn't heard from Kevin in years, and he said, Mark, I need you to really pray. He said, I heard your miracle. I heard what happened to you. And he said, my missions director is in the hospital on the ventilator, and it's not looking good. And on our way here tonight, he sent and he said, pray. Billy needs a miracle. I'm in the room with him right now. Now COVID's left his body, but... The after effects are there, and it's just not good. And he said, his wife and I are in the room right now. Will you pray? So, Father, tonight, I don't need to walk into a room. I just need you to. Because when you walk into the room, something has to break. And I declare destiny on Billy's life tonight. God, you're not done. He's not done. And I command COVID and all of its effects to leave his body. I command those lungs to open up and the pneumonia to cease and the liquid to drain. Come alive right now. Billy, I speak life to your body. 
I don't even know him. Never met him. But Lord, I know your authority. I know what happens when you walk into the room. I know when you walked into my room, how everything changed. And we call on you tonight, Lord. Word of God, speak into him. And everything will change now. We believe for the miracle. We believe for the miracle. We believe for the miracle. Now. 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 You did it in me. And you are no respecter of persons tonight. What you did for me, you will do for him. I declare it now in Jesus' name. Heal my friends, missions director, now. I break the lie of the assassin that's come to take him out prematurely. I break that lie right now. I break the assignment of the assassin to take him out prematurely. And I say, no! 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 That's not God, I'm not done. Turn it around now in his body. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 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 I tell you, we've we've our intercessors at our church and us, it's amazing since God did what he did in my life and healed me, brought me literally back from the dead twice. Our phone rings off the hook and people are coming out of the woodwork because they're hurting and nobody knows how to fight this battle. And there's something about it whenever you defeat some assassin of the enemy and you get a miracle in your life, there's something about it that I can't describe, but you gain authority in that area. You gain authority in that area. And you guys, we've seen so many people that the doctors have given up hope just like with me and saying, it's, it's over, you just need to get ready any moment now and we've seen it turn around we've seen it turn around I've seen it turn around in my own family as I shared this morning with my cousin with only one lung and had pneumonia and COVID and could not breathe and they were about to put him on the vent and we prayed didn't even know he was sick we agreed in prayer Tammy and I, my mother, and within 24 hours, Tim went home. Not home to be with the Lord, home to his family. With no explanation and doctors who told my aunt and pointed to him and said, he should be dead right now, not going home. But God. But God. 
I tell you, those are two amazing words because the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians begins to say we were this and we were that and we were separated and we were lost and we were a mess. And then he says two of the most beautiful words in the world, but God, but God. And everything turned around and what he does in us spiritually, listen, friend, he wants to do it spirit, soul, and body. He is still the God of miracles. I believe there's some people here tonight that are going to get a miracle from the Lord. Miracles are not all physical. I mean, look at the parting of the Red Sea. That was a physical thing that happened, but it wasn't like, you know, somebody was on their deathbed. It was just a miracle. When Jesus turned water into wine, it was a miracle, and it was a prophetic miracle because it showed that he said, I'll save the best for last. Remember that? And we're in the last of the last days with some new wine that he, he, he just, God amazes me. They said they needed coin to pay their taxes and they went down and he said, go fishing. They said, what? What do you mean go fishing? We, we don't need to go fishing. What we need is money. Go fishing. And he reaches down in the fish's mouth and pulls out the exact amount they needed for their tax. Come on, somebody. Why did he do it? Because he could. And why do we see miracles? Because he can. And he will. We were reading on the way over here to confirm everything that I said this morning. I said to Tammy on the way here and we hit every red light there was between the room and here. And I was like, oh, my Lord, these people are going to think some leader he is. And so so uh, we're going along. I said, Tammy, find Philip in the New Testament. I just preached on a few weeks ago. I don't know if it's seven or eight in Acts. She said, now seven is Stephen's sermon. I said, eight then. Goes to eight. And in Acts chapter 8, God begins to move on Philip to do supernatural things. And the Bible says that this deacon in the church, remember, this is not Philip the apostle. This is Philip who is listed with Stephen a few chapters earlier who is a deacon in the church. Somebody say, from the pulpit to the pew. God wants to use you. And here's Philip, and he is assigned to food ministry. His assignment, his task was distributing food. And the Bible says that while he was in his task, God began to use him to preach. And it says, and all these miracles started breaking out. It said, and the whole crowd followed him because they saw the miracles. And then a whole city gets saved because they saw miracles. Miracles validate our claims of Jesus as Lord. And I tell you, I'm tired of being in a powerless environment in church. We've had enough program. We've had enough greasy grace message 
live any old way you want and still make heaven. We've had enough of coming to church and going through the motions and doing our little religious thing for an hour and 15 on Sunday morning. Crackers and cheese and out the door you go. We don't want to impose on your time. I've had enough of that and I believe the whole world has had enough of that. What we need is when Paul said, I'm determined to know nothing among you save Christ and Him crucified. And he said, I didn't come to you with enticing words of man's wisdom, but I came to you in a power and a demonstration of the Holy Ghost. I don't care what name is on your church, what denomination you're from. There's an outpouring of Holy Ghost that needs to be on every church. On every church in America because when the power begins to flow in the church, then it brings validity to the loss of our claims. And we won't try to counsel demons, we'll deal with demons. And, 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 and we won't pray for the sick till they die, we will lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. And we'll get to the place where we don't think we got to call the pastor every time we stubbed our toe to pray. We'll be in our homes laying hands on one another and praying for one another and seeing us, the body of Christ, walk in fullness. And when your co-worker is hurting, God's going to give you words of wisdom and words of knowledge to begin to flow in the gifts of the Spirit and see Him. See, the gifts of the Spirit aren't really for the body of Christ. They are a sign from God to the lost that this is real and it validates. Remember they came out of the upper room and they were all speaking in tongues? Bible doesn't say they spoke in different languages like some say. It says this. It says they were speaking in a heavenly tongue but we heard them in our own dialect. God supernaturally and the anointing was so strong that it anointed the ears of the hearers preaching the gospel to them and they all got saved. I'm talking about some supernatural stuff. Supernatural is just when God's super touches your natural. Amen. And I don't know about you, but I want some of that. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Well, I've rambled long enough. You may be seated. Hallelujah. God is going to move in this house tonight. He told me so. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, honey, you watch my time for me because you know how excited I get. Now, I got it up here. I got my timer. Hallelujah. I used to have a watch, and I would pull my watch off and put it there. And somebody asked me one time, what's that mean? And I said, absolutely nothing. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's so good to be here. Good to be with you. I tell you, we enjoyed a wonderful lunch at uh, Pastor Jacob, Anna's house, and uh had some leadership there and spoke into them and just 
just excited with anticipation of what God's going to do in this place, not only tonight, but I believe this is a pivotal point, a turning point, and um, uh, you're going to need more chairs. I don't know, well, I don't know where you're going to put them. When, when, we were, when we were over on Nebraska, legally we seated 130 and we had 180 in there. And when we were over that, we ended up with 235 people in that little church that seated 130. And it was insane, y'all. The revival hit and it was so cool because we didn't have seats, so I made the teenagers sit on the platform across and all the teenagers they're all lined up in the platform and visitors would walk in and say my what in the world's going on and then when we go to pray for people we had to have chairs all the way up so I'd say well you know the drill remember this Shelly well you know the drill and the ushers would come everybody would stand up the ladies would grab their purses and the men would grab whatever they had, their Bibles, anything that was there, and they would pull it up to the front, and the ushers would come and stack the chairs and put them against the wall, and because we were so full, we had no place to pray for people, so we would pray for people, and the power of God would just, bam, they'd be out under the power, and, and some of them got so drunk in the Holy Ghost, we had to have designated drivers to get them home, that's the truth. Am I telling the truth? One, one woman went home and she was so drunk in the Holy Ghost that she got pulled over on the way. And uh, it was Charlotte Johnson, remember that? And she's out, on, she's out on Nebraska and she's going home and she's bobbing and weaving. And, and, and here comes, you know, and pulls her over and said, ma'am, what's wrong with you? And she said, I'm drunk. He said, oh, that's the first time I've ever had anybody admit it. She said, oh, no, 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 not drunk that way. I'm drunk on the Holy Ghost. He's like, do-do-do-do, you know, what's going on? Gave her a breathalyzer test. She said, oh, yeah, you can test me. And, and he was like, okay, there's no alcohol on you. Really, what's wrong? Ma'am, you need to be careful. And she said, I know, I know. She's trying, right? She gets back in her car and he says, just go home. And she's heading home. Hallelujah. So we would have designated drivers. Some people, we'd have to carry them out, put them in the car. Take your drunk wife home. Hallelujah. Yeah. I used to say the only, the only good ushers are drunk ones. The only Drunk in the Holy Ghost. Hey, I, I believe that should be the norm in the body of Christ. But, you know, it's not about what happens to you. It's what happens through you beyond that. Yeah. You know, the Lord wants to change our lives and transform us. But we would, we would pray for them. They'd get up, and we'd send them out the side door. Remember, we had that side door, Pastor Jacob. And they would walk around the building and come back in the back door and, and, and sit in the back because they'd been prayed for, and we, that was the only way we could do it. I tell you, I miss those times. 
now I got this big old building and I don't need to send them out a door. Uh, uh, sometimes we have to move them off to the side. But I'm telling you, the devil is a liar when he tries to get churches to believe you can't have a move of God in a large church because it's all of a sudden it's got to be all formal and it's got to be all, you know, we got we to gotta create the atmosphere that doctors and lawyers and educators and people will want to come to and, you know, we got my God, look like you've been sucking on prunes. And I just say, no, 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 no. We're going to have a move of the Holy Ghost. We're going to do it decently and in order. But sometimes revival gets a little messy. And, uh, and we've still had it. And I tell you, we still love it. And I, when I go back in two months, can you believe I'm going to be away from my church for two months? And I'm not calling and asking them anything. I don't want to know about the finances. I do, but I don't in Jesus' name, right? Any pastors in the house, you know what I'm talking about, right? And, uh, and, and I'm just not going to worry about it. I'm just going to trust the Lord. He's got this new season for us. And uh, for those of you that don't know us, I'm Pastor Mark. My wife, Tammy, she is the best half that, uh, of me, and, and uh, she is known in my book <clears throat> as Mrs. Braveheart, and uh, it's because, you know, our last name is Wallace, and, and uh, I come literally from the line of William Wallace, and my name means, Mark means warrior, and I've been a warrior my whole life and battling. In fact, when I was in there, I, I had to answer all these texts after I came out of the coma and after I, I got healed, I had to answer all these texts and I had people saying, you're a warrior, fight, you're a warrior, fight, you know, and I'm like, I'm, I, was, I was taking a nap, y'all fight, right? <laughs> I mean, I was out and uh, they, they, they mocked me on my staff because, <laughs> because they, they say, they'll say something and I'll say, when did that happen? And they'll say, oh, you were napping. And uh, um, so... You decided to take a nap, yeah, your two-week nap, yeah. And, um, but my wife, during that time, she, she went to battle. And uh, the first words out of my associate pastor's mouth when I walked back into the office that first day was, your wife, oh my God, it was like watching a scene out of Braveheart. And I said, for real? And he said, man, her with her swords up and battle cry and she rallied. And, of course, I knew that her rally cry, uh, it was supernatural. It wasn't about her, but God just raised up 20,000 people around the world to pray for me that we know of. That's the ones we know of. And uh, 43 states, 22 nations, every continent in the world was covered. People from Zimbabwe were praying for me. I mean, people I will never know. It was crazy because after I was healed and after I came out of the coma and I was home, we went to Outback to celebrate my uh, son and daughter-in-law, my oldest son and daughter-in-law's anniversary. Uh, wasn't it their anniversary? And we went out to dinner, had the grandkids there, had them there. And, and the waitress walked up to me. And, you know, they were serving us and blessing us and just, you know, I'm always friendly with the waiters or the waitresses because I'm trying to connect and, and have an opportunity without prophesying in the middle of it, you know, and speaking in tongues and everything. But, but she left and up comes this other lady and it was the manager. And she said, 
you're the guy on TV. And I said, excuse me? And she said, you know, the guy, you're him. You're the guy on TV that beat COVID. And, and you were a miracle. You are a miracle. And she reaches out her hand. She wants to shake my hand. It's so good to meet you. And she said, I want you to know. And she starts tearing up. We were praying for you. People I never met. One lady in our church went to a conference up in uh, Washington. And uh, she was up, was it Washington or Oregon? She's in Washington at this conference. And and, uh, they started doing like they do in conferences sometimes. Who's here from where and one of them spoke up and said, I, and she spoke up and she said, I'm from Dinuba, California. And the conference speaker looked and said, Dinuba, you don't happen to go to Mark Wallace's church. Yeah, that's my pastor. He's a miracle. We were praying for him. Wow. I mean, I'm like, I don't know these people. Isn't God good? I tell you, it restored my faith in the body of Christ. And I needed that restored in, in a worse kind of way. Some of you have been around Christianity very long, in the church very long. You understand what I'm talking about. Um, tonight, I'm not going to, well, I, I say I'm not going to preach. I, I, I just can't help myself in, in some of it. But I'm, I'm, I'm just going to try to tell my story a little bit with you. And then I want to pray for some people and minister uh, by the anointing uh, tonight. I tell you, there's a great spirit in the house. I believe God's going to do some great things. You know, the book of Revelation, chapter 19, verse number 10, the only verse that I plan on really quoting, maybe there will be some others, but um, the Bible says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When I first heard that, I was like, whoa, I need to think on that. I need to chew on that for a minute. And some of you are looking at me like the oaky calf at a new gate. And you're, well, I guess that'd be a Texan term too. And everything's huge here in Texas, including the, the, the land. Oh, my gosh, I thought I'd never get across Texas. Except for the 80-mile-an-hour speed limit. I, I broke out in tongues. So I saw it. I said, Tammy, roco tola basate, Rome, hallelujah, and do it legally. That is awesome. I drove from El Paso to San Antonio, and, and I was just flying, and they're passing me like I'm nothing, and I'm going, oh, I love this state. Hallelujah. What was I saying? The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What does that mean? It means that when Jesus does something in your life and your words honor him and you give testimony to what he has done in your life, it becomes prophetic when it comes out of your mouth that any ears of the hearers that hear it, it is a prophetic word that what he did in you, he will do in others. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Hallelujah. 
So when I give my testimony and I share it, I know I'm speaking prophetically. And that's why on the front of the book, I did not say anything about COVID because it transcends COVID. When the doctors say there is no hope, and Tammy broke that down and said, no, when there is no hope, doesn't matter if it's a doctor, the lawyer, your financial counselor, your marriage counselor, doesn't matter if your kids are going wayward and they've picked up the phone and called you everything under the sun over the phone and said, I hate you, you've ruined me, you've wrecked me, and I'm going down this road or that. I don't know who I might be talking to tonight. It doesn't matter what it is and what report it is. When there is no hope, but God says live. And he speaks life into us. And, and the very nature, everybody wants a miracle, but nobody wants to need a miracle. Because <laughs> when you need a miracle, all hope is gone. All help is gone. You've, you've depleted all of your resources and everything. You need. The woman with the issue of blood, I was going to preach from that tonight, I'll still refer to it a little bit. But the woman with the issue of blood, the Bible says for 12 years she'd been suffering at the hands of many physicians and spent her life savings and everything she had and still grew worse. How many of you know it's time for a miracle? Broke, busted, disgusted, no doctors can help you, they send you home to die, you need a miracle. The man at the gate who'd been there all of his life for 40 years that we talked about this morning, he needed a miracle. And guess what? Jairus's daughter, who was dead, needed a miracle. So it doesn't matter if you're dead already <laughs> or something has died in you or in your life. It doesn't matter if you're on death's door like I was. And it doesn't matter if you're just existing instead of really living. All three cases needed a miracle. And the testimony of Jesus becomes the spirit of prophecy. And so when I share some of what the Lord did in my life, take it as a prophetic word that he's about to do this in you. I want to stir some faith for the supernatural. And some of you are here on behalf of somebody else. And that's okay. You're going to take this word back to them. And healing's going to come and transformation's going to take place. Hallelujah. I believe that. I believe that. So, on April the 9th of 2020, Tammy and I had already been diagnosed and uh, taken a COVID test. <clears throat> in short, she had to have a pacemaker put in, went to Kaiser to have a pacemaker put in, and back at that time, at the beginning of April, um, uh, there was not the protocol that there is now. And so there was a man in the ER who was coughing and hacking, and it was bad. And um, uh, come to find out, evidently, he had COVID. And just it being in the air, Tammy got COVID and came home. And they had told her after the surgery that she might be running a slight fever here or there and to just watch it. Well, a few days went by, and she broke out with fever. 
and thought it was because of the operation. Goes back to have it checked, and when she did, they said, no, your, your, your wound is doing great, and right now you're not running any fever, and so everything's good, go on back home. And, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing in the book, it's, it's amazing the detail and how God will speak to you through every page of this thing. Uh, it was really anointed um, uh, of the Lord. I, I couldn't have done it on my own. And um, uh, so Tammy comes back home, and her mom and her sister are there trying to take care of her a little bit and bathe her because of the wound and everything. And, and uh, the next thing you know, all of us are sick. And Tammy and I were running fever and getting the chills and and cough, she was coughing really bad, and my breathing was starting to, to suffer. And <clears throat> the next thing you know, come out, devil. And uh, the next thing you know, um, we, are, we are so sick that we can't get out of bed. We, we just cannot even get to the bathroom. And uh, to, to use the facilities, to wash our hands, to do anything. And she would force herself to eat and drink. I was a terrible patient and would not. And um, I, I tell you, I got weaker and weaker and weaker. And finally, on April the 9th, um, I was so weak. And they got me on the phone from Kaiser, one of the doctors, and said, you've got to get to the hospital now. And I'm like, I, I can't drive. My wife can't drive me. We both got COVID, so nobody that we know can drive us, right? I mean, what do you do? So we called the ambulance. They took me there. Those paramedics were amazing, came right in and just loved and ministered to us and cared for us. And no, they weren't Christians necessarily, but I tell you, they are frontline workers, and, and they were facing it. And, and, of course, they're dressed properly and taking all the protocols. Um, but they got me to the hospital, and I thought I was just dehydrated. This was about 1 in the afternoon. By about 6.30 in the evening, they had decided they would keep me, okay, and do what I thought, which was put an IV in, get me some liquid, and I thought I would be okay and go home the next day. <laughs> yeah. Um, they put me in a room, and I got in my room about, what was it, about... 8.30 that evening, and uh, they gave me something to sleep, and so I'm like, okay, and I text Tammy, and we're back and forth, and I doze off to sleep, and about 10.30 that night, the lights go on in the room, and everybody is in the room. I mean, it's like, what is going on, and I'm, I'm alerted, you know, I'm groggy because I'm, I've, I've got these drugs in me that are helping me sleep, and now I'm wide awake, but I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And one of the little nurses came to me and she said, she said, Mr. Wallace, we're going to be sending you to the ICU. And I said, the ICU, that's not good. I know what that is, right? I've been there as a pastor many times. And uh, she said, they'll be able to give you the better care that you need right now. And they uh, confirmed I had pneumonia, not just pneumonia, COVID pneumonia, really bad. And my breathing was getting worse and worse by the minute. It was, it was going downhill fast. This is at 8.30. By 10.30, I'm in the ICU, and I'm in my room. And, and I tell you, my doctor came in, 
and he said, Dr. Gassman came in and he said, uh, we're going to have to intubate. And he said, but I need to get your wife on the phone. I knew he knew I was kind of drugged up and he was like, I need permission. I need to, you know, so he calls Tammy and Tammy's like, what in the world? What, what are you talking about? He's just dehydrated and, and going to come home tomorrow. No, he needs to be intubated and it needs to be now. And um, she's like, I, I, we didn't prepare for this. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I need to talk to Mark. I can't make this decision without him. Mrs. Wallace, Mr. Wallace is right here with me. And I spoke up and I said, hi, Tim. And she said, honey, what's going on? And I said, they, they need to put me on the ventilator. And, and she said to the doctor, she said, what happens if we don't? And he said, he will absolutely, 100%, he will die, and it could be hours, not days. We have to do this now. And she said, and what happens if we do? And the doctor said, well, he has a slim chance. We had no idea what slim meant at that time. In research after, and you'll see it in the book, I, I, 89% of the people in those days that were going on the ventilator never came off. They went to the morgue. I'm, I'm, I know I'm being strong and, and, and straightforward, but that was the harsh reality of it. Nine out of ten did not make it ever off the vent. And of the one out of ten that did, one out of those ten, which means now you've got 100 people going on the vent, 10 of them make it off, and out of those, one made it home. I am that one. One in a 100 chance. So when he said slim, that's slim, right? So we are, we are there. Um, I'm on... I'm intubated right about midnight, and they put me in a medically induced coma. I'm in that coma for 10 days, and um, about day number seven, on the 17th of, of uh, April, Tammy gets a phone call. Now, mind you, every single day, she's contacting and talking to nurses, the head nurse, uh, the shift nurses talking to doctors every single day. She and my two daughter-in-laws, um, Casey, who is a registered nurse in Nashville, and, uh, and then Fobby, or not Fobby, but um, uh, Amanda, my youngest son's wife, uh, would be on the phone too. And they're all taking notes every time there was a discussion. And the discussion went sort of like this. Well, he had a pretty good day his levels, and they would call off all the levels of oxygen and this and that. But I was up at the top on the ventilator breathing for me, and um, without it, I, was, I would have died. And I know there's a lot of controversy and everything. All I know is it saved my life. The ventilator does not medicate you or help you in any way. All it does is buy you time so that COVID can work its way through your body and hopefully there's enough left when COVID is done with you that they can pull you off the ventilator and that you'll live. That's the essence of it. All it does is buy you that precious commodity, time. 
And um, so on April the 17th, Tammy gets the call, and the doctor says, there is no hope. We have tried everything, Miss Wallace, every single drug imaginable she had had to approve, even uh, trial drugs that they were trying on me, and they said, everything we try is water. It's just rolling right off of him. And she said, but he had good numbers yesterday. And she said, you, he said, you've got to understand this. He said, COVID is the big picture that you got to look at, not a good day or a good hour. And someone else likened COVID unto a dance. Three steps forward, two steps back. One step forward, two steps back. Three steps forward, one step back. And what you hope is that you're progressing. Well, COVID had taken me from this place, and it was one step forward, two steps back. One step forward, three steps back. Two steps forward, three steps back. And it had backed me off to the edge of the dance floor until I had fallen off. And I was falling into the abyss. My, my liver had shut down. My kidneys had shut down. My lungs were shot, and they said he's in multiple organ failure. And, and then they said this, he said, and, and his heart is racing so fast that we fear that if COVID does not kill him, then, <laughs> then he'll have a heart attack and die. Either way, ma'am, there is no hope. We're just telling you, you need to prepare yourself. And my wife was like the little woman with the issue of blood. And that tenacity rose up in her and Mrs. Braveheart came alive. And she said to the doctor, you're giving me no hope. And he said, ma'am, that's because there is none to give. And she said, you've got to give me something. He said, there's nothing to give you. And she said, okay then. And I don't know if she was mad or just faith rose up in her, but she can be a tiger. <laughs> and uh, that's what I love about her, until the tiger gets me. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> she said to the doctor, just tell me what needs to happen for him to come off of the vent. And he said, ma'am, you don't understand. He's not going to make it. She said, just tell me what needs to happen. So he goes through the list. He said, well, the very first thing, his kidneys have got to start working. He is drowning literally in poison and toxin. There is, there is bile that is, is backing up in his system because of his liver giving out. And literally, they had me on a feeding tube, and you could see, and there's a picture online on my website, and, and we put it on there because it, it was a picture of, of the green coming back through the feeding tube. I'm not trying to be gross. I'm telling you, I was on the verge of death. That's how bad it was. And said, said his, his liver is shut down. He needs his kidneys to work first because we got to get this liquid off of him. And then he needs his liver to kick in and start functioning and filtering through. And then he needs his lungs to strengthen. And he's got to get to these numbers 
and he just goes down through this whole list. My wife has taken notes, and here's what she did. She went to battle. She went to war. Until this time, no one in my church knew that I was on the ventilator, but my staff and my family. And here's why. We've always played our cards close to our chest, and when tough times set in, we circle the wagons because we don't want doubt and unbelief and all the garbage that goes on out there to speak into it. Remember when Jesus came to the room and he kicked everybody out except those that had authority, the, the little girl's mama and daddy and his inner circle. He didn't even invite all of his disciples in, just the inner circle. What was he doing? He got rid of that spirit of mourning in order to raise her up. And I got to tell you, when people started hearing I was on the ventilator, they were giving her death sentences over me all during the time. They had no idea I was on the vent. And they're saying, whatever you do, don't put him on the ventilator. He'll die. He'll die. And on and on. She had to shut down Facebook, shut down everything. Because I'm telling you, sometimes you just need to get out of town and get away from all of the garbage. Right? People asking questions. Preachers, not a lot of faith going on, but then something rose up, and I tell you what, this woman said, you, we need your prayers, it's not good, put it out, and said, we need your prayers, we're not wanting to believe what the doctors have said, Mark is on the ventilator, he's in critical condition, and it's time for swords up. And she put hashtag swords up. And it became the motto. And that text, or that, that post, went around the world. It was shared something like 237 times initially. And then the sharing of the sharing and the sharing of the sharing of the sharing of the sharing of the sharing until it was reaching Zimbabwe and Italy and France, I mean, it, it was all over the place, all through South America, Australia, New Zealand. People were praying all over the world. And every single, every single time zone was covered to where there was always somebody in prayer. We had one intercessor down in uh, our spiritual son and daughter's uh, uh, church down in Guyton, Georgia, and she is an amazing, Lee is an amazing uh, intercessor. And she said, I'm taking the, the, the night hours. She said, the Lord is getting me up early of the morning. And, and our time, it would have been 3 a.m. She was getting up at 5 and praying until, what was it, 8? Something like 5 to 8, which equates to like 2 in the morning until 6 a.m. I mean, it was it was crazy in the middle of the night in intercession got words for Tammy and and it was just really really impactful so so I'm laying there I'm uh, I'm literally given no hope Tammy went to war that was on the 17th of April three days later come on somebody who's that sound like huh It didn't happen on Easter. That was the Sunday before. 
And, and my family, I had been put on the vent on that Friday, and my family was like three days. He's going to rise up just like Jesus, and they're believing all this, right? Nothing, nada, out, gone, getting worse, dying. But the following Sunday, after three days of warfare over everything imaginable, I woke up. My eyes opened on Sunday. They said I looked around the room and as if to say, where am I? And I went back to sleep. And they said, but he woke up, looked around the room. I don't have any recollection of that. But somewhere in the wee hours of Monday morning, I woke up. And when I woke up, I woke up as I said this morning, restrained, my arms restrained, my feet restrained, my nose was itching, so I reached with my right hand to try to scratch my nose, and I couldn't break it loose, and I looked down, and I saw that I was restrained, and so I tried with my left hand, and it was restrained, and that drew my attention to my body that was literally naked, except for a loincloth, and I remembered somewhere in there them packing me in ice and I looked around there was no ice anything and my feet were restrained and I'm freaking out and then I feel this what felt like a quarter stuck in my throat and it was the tube and um, couldn't speak couldn't ask questions and in walks a guy that looked like he was on one of those sci-fi movies and he was meaner than a rattlesnake. That guy, I don't know if the guy, this is going out over the air. I, I, I speak good things, I, I, but I told it in the book. It is the truth. I don't know if this dude was coming off of his, his, his watch or whatever or his, his uh, shift, but he was mean. I, I was pulling, trying to scratch my nose, uh, uh, you know, and he said, hey, Stop that. What are you doing? You just want to die? I'm like, yeah, I think, yeah, right now I could, you know. And, and he was so mean, and he said, you just stop that. Lay still. And he was mean, and he walked out. And I'm like, God, and I'm waking up, and I'm, I, I'm, I've got, where am I? Why am I naked? Where, what have they done to me? Where have they put me? You know, and I'm having flashbacks of Twilight Zone as a kid growing up, and I'm like, what is going on? Where's my family? What in the world is happening? And God sent a little nurse that came in, and she was the sweetest girl. I have no idea who she was. I have no idea. She could have been an angel for all I know. She was my angel in that moment. She walked over to me, and she patted my arm, and she said, Mr. Wallace, you're in Kaiser and you're in the ICU, and this machine is keeping you alive, and it's pumping air. And she said, and the reason you're restrained is because if you grabbed the tube and pulled on it, you would die, and so we're protecting you. And by the way, you must be cold. I'm sorry that you don't have a gown on or any covers, but we had to pack you in ice because your fever was so high. But you're better now. And it's going to be okay. And she tucked me in like a little boy in my room. 
And it was just, it was amazing. She tucks me in and she says, and, and she said, um, um, it's going to be okay. And we've been in touch with your family every single day. Every question I had was answered by a woman that I could not speak and communicate with, but supernaturally, it was like she answered every question going on. It was the most traumatic moment of my entire life, waking up in that condition. So the short of it is, because I want to fast forward a little bit, um, I can't tell you everything, because if I did, you wouldn't buy my book. (laughs) Oh, I'm kidding, sort of. Um, So we fast, I'm sorry, babe, I know. I know, she's over there going, move on, move on. So, so um, I'm laying there, and, and here we are on April the 17th. Now we move forward, April the, the 19th, my eyes open, April the 20th. I, I have full ability, everything going on around me. I'm fully aware of everything. I, I am wide awake, and the next three days are the worst days of my life. Because the pain was agonizing. The scar is because, I noticed some of you this morning, it's, it, 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 it goes with the territory. Everywhere I go, I was sitting at dinner or at lunch with my insurance agent the other day, and he just kept doing this. He kept going. And his eyes were fixed, and I said, that's the scar from the vent tube. They had me in the prone position 16 hours at a time. They would lay me on my face. They had to heavily sedate me because I am not a stomach sleeper. And, and I was fighting them so bad. But even in my sleep, I was sleeping on this side where the tube was coming the most. And, and it bore a hole, literally. It bore a sore and a deep crevice in my cheek. But I'm not upset because that's also evidence of, of my battle and that I won. It's a battle scar. Hallelujah. But I'm here. I'm here. It's actually the scar that proves and, and was my first evidence from the doctors that I was going to live. Because I'm laying there and in walks this guy. I'm still in the ICU. I'm off the vent by this time and everything. He walks in and he says, Mr. Wallace, I'm here to try to diminish the scarring as much as we can. It's a pretty nasty wound. And I started crying. And he said, what's wrong? And I said, nothing wrong. It's everything right. And he said, what are you talking about? I said, if I were going to die, they wouldn't send you. (laughs) What, are they worried about what's in the casket? You know, my appearance? Uh, No. I knew I was going to live. So I'm crying. The dude is crying. He goes, well, I never thought of that. And we are celebrating while he's dressing my wound. And that wound is what let me know I was going to live. So we fast forward, and those three days are from hell. And I'm telling you, the pain was excruciating. It was so bad. I was so lonely. I was so... Um, uh, locked in to everything that was going on and, 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 and I just, the minutes seemed like hours laying there. And um, I began to pray and say, God, just take me home or get rid of the pain, one of the two. 
I, I, I can't take this. I'm hurting so bad. And you know, they were diminishing the pain meds because I was, they were trying to get me to a point that I could breathe for myself and come off of the ventilator. And so I was in such pain, though, that I kept crying out and saying, God, just take me. And then I started bargaining with God. And I started reasoning with him. And I started telling him all the reasons why I'm ready and it'd be a good idea to go ahead and take me. <laughs> and uh, Mr. Faith and Power, no, it was more like paste and flour, man. I mean, I was, I was not that at that moment. And, uh, you know, it's amazing. Uh, just a side note. God's okay with your humanity. Remember the guy that came to Jesus and he said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. He knows we're human. And by the way, fear and faith can coexist for a while. It's not that you won't have fear try to come upon you. It's what are you going to do? with the fear that is there. So fear was there, faith was also there, and I had choices to make laying there in that bed, whether I was going to follow my fears or follow faith. And for a while, fear was winning. It was a battle. And people are doing warfare out there. And people are getting visions and getting dreams and all kinds of things. Your pastor had words and visions of things um, uh, that were going on. And, and, and then there were others that did. And one lady in our church, who's one of our intercessors, had an amazing dream. And the dream was that there was an angel at the foot of my bed who was declaring the word of the Lord. And when the word was coming out of his mouth, it was falling on the floor and all over the walls and the ceiling and all over me like gold glitter. And the word would come out and it would just overwhelm the room. That was her dream that she had the morning of the 17th. And later that morning is when she got the word that I wasn't going to make it. So she was faced with what, whose report are you going to believe? She decided, and I'm so thankful she decided to believe the report of the Lord that says, I'm healed, I'm whole, I will preach again. And her post said, you stand with me, we're going to have a miracle. And you watch, Mark Wallace will preach again and we will celebrate like never before. And boy, did we. Hey, 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 we still are every day every day and um i'm going to fast forward and end because i want to i want to minister some people um on that thursday following the sunday when i woke up uh my doctor dr uh sharma came in who is indian and he is not a believer and he came into the room and he, I had failed my SBT, which is a spontaneous breathing test. To that, what they do is they turn the vent off and see how long you can live. <laughs> and I was failing miserably, and I wasn't lasting five minutes, and and I failed. And so, in and that five minutes, 
so took it out of me on Tuesday that on Wednesday they let me rest for a full day just to recover from that five minutes. And they tried it again on Thursday morning, prior to, which was a miracle because it's supposed to be four or five days before they would try it again for me to recover. And, and so when they gave me that test, I passed miraculously. They're like, this is crazy. And the nurse calls her and says, you didn't hear this from me, but I think they're going to extubate him. Within the next 24 hours, you're probably going to be getting a call from Dr. Sharma, and they're talking about extubating him. Later that morning, I began to have phlegm really bad, and I, my breathing was labored, and everything was a struggle. And a little nurse walked in with the doctor in there. Dr. Sharma was in there. And the nurse walked over, and she said, I think we need to suction him. And the doctor said, well, okay. And she said, but he does not like that. And she looked at me, and she said, Mr. Wallace, I know you don't like this, but we, need, we really need to suction you if you'll let us. And I'm like, yeah, because I couldn't breathe. And when they did, this huge mucus came up. It was like this big plug. It was like deliverance. And I'm telling you, in a moment's time, everything turned. And within a couple of hours, the doctor walked in. He looked at me, and he said, are you ready to come off that thing? Actually, when he walked in, he, he comes in, and he's staring through that mask, and he's going. I'm laying there. I'm on the tube. I can't speak, and I'm like, what? <laughs> you know? I mean, that's what I'm thinking, but I couldn't talk. And he gazed, I mean, he pierced right through my eyes. And he walked over and he said, are you ready to come off that thing? I'm waving my arms. I'm still restrained. My arms, my legs, I'm shaking my head. And I'm like, if I could, I would kiss you right now. Take me <laughs> off of this thing. They did. I was extubated. And the rest is history. I was not out of the woods. I still suffered for three days and going through it. And my breathing, at one point, they almost put me back on the ventilator. But I got my miracle, my turnaround. And by the way, the first thing that happened was supernaturally, my kidneys started working. What needs to happen? Just tell me what needs to happen. His kidneys need to start working. We'll target that in prayer. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Come on, somebody. And never underestimate the power of prayer and prophetic prayer and targeted prayer where your intercession is going for a thing and you will see that thing happen. My, my kidney started working, and they drained four liters. Two two-liter bottles of Pepsi. In less than an hour, drained out of me. That's how much toxin. And they weren't done yet. Within the next couple hours, another two liters came off. Six liters. That's what I was drowning in. But God. Then my liver started functioning. And then my lungs started getting stronger. Come on, somebody. And my heart came back to normality, not trying to overwork. And the next thing you know, 
they're calling me the miracle man, and I say, I'm not a miracle man. I'm the miracle. God's the one that did this. Come on now. And God has opened opportunities and ministry opportunities that I never thought possible. When I came home, I was so weak, I was on six liters of oxygen. And, uh, and, and I was on a walker. And the day before I left the hospital, I walked literally from about here to that wall. And I got back. And I didn't walk, I shuffled. <laughs> I felt like I was 95 and, you know, maybe 105, you know. And, and we have it on video. It's on the website. And when I got back, they're like, Woohoo! look at Mark. He's walking. And she said the date wrong. It was Cinco de Mayo. It was May the 5th. And she said, eight liters of oxygen. And I was done in by the time I got back. And I said, I better get to that chair. And she put me in the chair, and I had to sit there for two hours at a time. And, um, and they were trying to strengthen me and get me up and around and everything. The next day, my, ner- my doctor, Dr. A- uh, Avick, my favorite doctor, she was amazing. When I wouldn't eat, she negotiated with me, told me she would give me milkshakes if I would eat. And, um, and I said, this feeding tube, I can't swallow the food because this tube's in there. So she said, now, if I pull that tube, you've got to eat, what was it, 2,500 calories a day? I had lost 35 pounds, 2,000 calories. She just read it. Um, I, I had lost 35 pounds, 35 pounds. Hallelujah. That's not the way you want to lose weight. 35 pounds in 30 days. That's how frail I was. And then when they wanted me to eat 2,000 calories, are you kidding me? I haven't had solid food in over a month, and you want me to eat 2,000 calories? But I was like taking the bait because I needed that tube out, and I wanted that milkshake. (laughs) And then they brought me a diet milkshake that tasted like, (laughs) she tricked me. I started eating, and she came in, Dr. Avett came in, and she said to me, are you ready for your graduation papers? I said, what? And she said, I'd give you a cap and gown if I could. And I said, what are you talking about? She said, you're the first one to leave the ICU alive. And I said, do you think I'm ready? And she said, do you think you're ready? And I said, I'm scared. And I'm being honest with you, I'm scared. Because when I go to the regular room, I don't get the care. I don't have the buzzer, and they show up like that, right? And she said, you'll be fine. You'll be much more comfortable in that room. Four days later, I was going home. Before I did, Dr. Avick came in, sat on the foot of my bed, masked but no shield, rubber gloves, she reached out and she took me by the hand and she's crying. And she looks at me and she says, Mark Wallace, you are an absolute miracle. I have no explanation for you. None. In all my years, in all my study, she said, I stay up all night long 
Many, many nights I have not even gone home. I stay up all night long researching and trying to find something to help people. And I can't find anything. And you give me hope. And you are a miracle. Thank you. And I'm going, thank you, you know. And she said, you're going home. And she said, I need you to sign these papers because there's some people that want to say goodbye. And um, they want to take some video of you. And so I signed. My hand was shaking. Somebody, oh, there's so many stories I could tell. Got to get the book. There's so much in there. It's so rich, I'm telling you. And the word in the book is so rich, too. God showed me things, supernatural things that I've never seen before. And they came alive in that time. I could do literally a Bible study for a year out of the word that's in the book. It's It's so wonderful. I don't know. Maybe we will. Um, so anyway, she said, sign off because there's some people that want to say goodbye to you. And I'm thinking, okay, whatever. So I sign it and they're wheeling me out. First of all, when they wheel me out of the ICU, everybody's applauding. And I'm like, thank you. All I did was live, (laughs) right? (laughs) Eat. And, and so then when I'm going out, they put me in a wheelchair And they're taking me to the elevator, and everybody's applauding to the elevator. I get off the elevator, and it's like here to the, you know, it's just the hallway. And there's like 20 people in the hall, and I'm thinking, oh, that's nice. And they got signs. And then they wheeled me around the corner. And as long as I could see in Kaiser Corridor, it was lined up with every staff member in the hospital, applauding, giving signs, and way to go. And it was like, what's, I was confused. I'm like, all I did was live, and all I want to do is go home, right? And, and it was amazing, and I was crying. They're all crying. They're all cheering. And I looked down, and there is this beautiful woman. And I looked at her, and our eyes met, and it was like the movie, um, uh, um, uh, the Kevin Costner movie where he says, clear the mechanism, and it's only the catcher's mitt that he sees. He loses the crowd. Everything faded, and all I could see was her at the end of the line. And we embraced, and they got it all over the video of Kaiser, and it played all over Kaiser. It played all over the news that night. Every news station in Fresno carried it, and every, every one of them. And then they all wanted interviews. And I said, I'll tell you all the story, but you have to tell the whole story because it's Jesus that did this in me. And I, and I gave God the glory, and they did it. Front page of the Fresno Bee. Oh, and uh, I was released to go home on the National Day of Prayer. <laughs> Come on, somebody. So when I saw her and we embraced, it was wonderful. And, and the video caught me running my fingers through her hair. And nobody knew, not even her. But there was a night that I was in the hospital and I said, Holy Spirit, I need you to comfort me. And I would swear Tammy was laying next to me and I ran my fingers through her hair all night long. 
Holy Spirit will come and do amazing things in you. She sent a playlist in my room, and twice I died. I felt my spirit leaving my body, and the playlist of worship music was warfare worship. It was about miracles, the God of miracles, and, 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 and then there was a song called Rattle. How many of you have heard Rattle? It came out on Easter Sunday. I had it in my room on the playlist, and they played four and a half hours of a playlist over and over in my room, and they demanded that it be in the atmosphere. The atmosphere in my room was so great, we found out later that, that, that nurses would come into my room to find reprieve from the spirit of death everywhere because the anointing and the glory of God was so strong. Yeah, the only peace they could find couldn't find it in the break room, couldn't find it anywhere, but they could come in my room even when they were not assigned and the glory of God was in there and the presence of God was in there and the worship was going and the atmosphere was conducive for a miracle. Had an angel. Can I just tell this real quick? I promise I'll quit after this. Had an angel in my room that I could not see, but I heard him. I thought it was one of my doctors. I thought it was Dr. Gassman. Have you ever been in a room and, and the walls are thin and you can hear everything going on in the next room and two people having this conversation and you're like, I shouldn't be hearing this, right? You know, and it sounds kind of muffled, but you can hear every word. That's how this was. And this angel, you might want to turn me down for this. Not all the way, but just almost. This angel, who I thought was my doctor, for three nights, two on the vent and the night after I came off the vent, yelled at the top of his lungs all night long. And he is yelling scripture. Whatsoever things you believe when you pray, Believe that you receive them and you will have them. Speak to your mountain. With long life I will satisfy you. You will live and not die. You will declare the works of the Lord to His glory. Prophesying, preaching, declaring. And I was sitting in my room thinking, this guy is not much of an employee. He's supposed to be taking care of people and all he's doing is yelling and preaching and prophesying all night long. What in the world? I came off the vent and my nurse came in and I said, who is this guy? And she said, there's no one here. I said, ma'am, do you not hear that? She said, hear what? Mr. Wallace, it's the middle of the night. Nobody is here. You're hallucinating. And I looked at her and I said, are you real? And she said, well, yeah. And I said, and you don't hear that. And I'm quoting him. He's saying it and I'm saying it. With long life, I will satisfy you. You will live and not die. And she says, Mr. Wallace. And she pats me on the shoulder like I'm touched. I was touched, all right. 
I was mesmerized because I could hear him, but I could not see him for three nights in a row. And I was actually, like, the last night telling the nurse to make him shut up so I could rest. <laughs> Imagine you're telling the angel to shut up when he's prophesying over you and probably the only thing keeping you alive, right? It's, it was the craziest thing. I could hear him, but I could not see him. And then when I came off the vent and I to told Tammy all about him, I said, I need to talk to him. When I get... When I get when I get out of here, I'm going to find out who that was. If that was Gasman, I'm going to tell him, you have got to use more wisdom in your preaching and prophesying and all this stuff because you're going to scare everybody away. They're going to fire you if you don't do some work. I told her that, didn't I? She said, Mark, that was not the doctor. That was an angel. I said, it was. <laughs> and she read me Rosemary's dream. And it was happening right there in front of me for three solid days. Oh, I had encounters with heaven that are amazing. One time when I was about to die, I heard, God says, live, live. Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. God says, live. And my spirit came back into my body. And I was like, I've never heard that song before. It was brand new. One night when I said, God, you are so faithful, but I don't know where you are. I need your faithfulness. I heard Leland. Y'all know who Leland is? I heard Leland who wrote Lion and the Lamb at our church. And uh, he was there ministering prophetically, and, and God gave him that song right on our platform. And I heard Leland singing, Great is Thy Faithfulness, all night long. Crazy thing is, we're good friends with Moorings, and Tammy calls Cindy and says, Hey, Mark heard that song all night, and it was not on his playlist. And... Cindy's like, Tammy, Leland's never recorded that song. <laughs> well, he heard Leland singing Great Is Thy Faithfulness all night long. He thought Dr. Gassman was playing it in the next room. <laughs> it was echoing throughout my room, and I thought, boy, he really likes Leland. I need to tell him about Leland. <laughs> and I'm hearing the song, Great Is Thy Faithfulness, and he would prophesy in the middle of it and break off into free worship, and it was anointed, it was powerful. And I asked the Lord about that, and he said, you know, prophecy begins in my heart, and it's my word to the earth of what I want to do. There are songs that have not been sung. There are sermons that have never been preached. There are books that have never been written. And you just got in on a glimpse of something that will happen someday. I just gave you the front row seat to it. <laughs> so I got to tell Leland when I go to Baytown here in a few weeks, Lee, Dude, you've got to record that. So uh, it got good. Hallelujah. Okay, I'm done. I'm, I'm over time. I want to minister to some people. I keep getting words over people as I'm standing here. Could I just do share one real quick? This couple here, would you all stand up? You, sir, and your wife. I, I assume that's your wife or your sister. Hallelujah. It's your wife. Okay. 
younger sister. <laughs> Hallelujah. Here's what I saw over you. I saw it this morning, and I was hoping you'd be back tonight to give you this word. Here's what I saw over you. I saw that you're either at or you're coming to a crossroads. And there's a decision that you need to make. Now, that's not a bad thing. We all come to those, okay? But, but God says there's a pathway that is my path in this. And if you follow it, the blessing of God is going to be so strong on your lives and ministry opportunity is going to begin to open up because you are leaders. And there is a call of God on you. And I see, I see the two of you speaking into marriages. That's what I see. And, and, and even doing seminars and teaching and classes in that. And there's other things because you are quite the dynamo and you don't even know it yet. But um, there's some preach in you, some feistiness in you. And I know that the eyes show me that you are terrorized by what I just said. <laughs> but, but that's okay because the Holy Ghost has this. And I just got good news for you. You're going to make the right choice. But here's what the Lord gave me. Philip was leaving the place of comfort when he was in Jerusalem. And the Lord told him, is that me? No. The Lord told him, listen, the Lord told him, said, Philip, I want you to leave your comfort zone of where you're at, food distribution, these miracles are happening, it's comfortable, you're in Jerusalem, I want you to go down to Gaza. I got a, an assignment for you. And then he tells him, and go the way of the desert. Because there were two roads to Gaza, and the desert was the hard road. It was the lonely road. It was a road that looked like there was no life in it. But he had a choice to obey what God was saying and choose the right path. And when he did, guess what? He comes across the Ethiopian eunuch. He is translated. First time in the scripture you see anybody translated. And he is translated some, I think it was 50 or 60 miles away they found him preaching the gospel. And he ministers the gospel to this man. And this Ethiopian eunuch gets baptized. And the Ethiopian eunuch was a man of great authority and great power. And he handled all the wealth of the king of Ethiopia. The, sorry, the queen of Ethiopia. And so God took, because he was willing to go the hard way, not the easy road, God took him and networked him together and who knows what that that man didn't go back and minister to the queen of Ethiopia because he was a man of great influence and power and authority and great wealth and the Lord just says if you go the right way I'm going to bring you across the paths of who needs to be in your path and, and open doors for you nobody can close that's a good word for you guys just choose the right road hallelujah hallelujah Thank you for listening to this week's message. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram or Facebook or visit www.equippingcenter.us.